week, as I mentioned earlier, on this series on love and marriage. And before we get started, um, especially again, um, because our guests wouldn't know, um, in our service folder there's a gold sheet there that you are very much welcome to use um, for following along and then also as a Bible study at home. For those of you who are in our growth groups, next week we'll be using this set of sermon notes and questions for our growth group since next week is our mission festival and there won't be questions uh, in, in the bulletin next week. So um, just kind of an FYI. About four weeks ago, we uh, started this series called Enduring Love with this, this basic premise that falling in love is not real hard. That all you really need to do is to have a pulse. What I mean by that is you just need to be alive your heart's pumping, and you could fall in love, potentially. Would you agree? For some of you, it happened that easily. But the staying in love part, the staying in love for an entire lifetime, that's a, that's a little bit harder of a deal. And in fact, um, it takes work. It takes planning. And what I hope you learn is that staying in love the way the Bible describes it absolutely, 100%, requires Jesus to be a part in important part of that relationship. So in week one, here's what we, we found. Uh, we found that uh, Jesus says that if you'd like to stay in love, that one of the things that we should be about is making love into a verb. And what we meant by that is that we need to make an effort to simply love. To do that on a daily basis. Love your spouse. In week two, I tested out a theory. The theory was that people that people can actually say that S word, which is submit, and that it really you know, was not that hard to say, and in fact would be a blessing to our marriages and a good thing. And we found that out, that really the word submit, all it means is that husbands and wives are making an effort to put their, their spouse's wants, wishes, and desires ahead of their own. Why? Because their spouse is always so good and deserves it? No, not always. The reason why, the, the passage said, is we submit out of reverence for Christ. And because his love is for us. Last week, um, Pastor Steve uh, introduced us to a uh, couple. Remember uh, Mr. and Mrs. Mug? And, you know, the weird thing is, is, you know, I had met Mr. and Mrs. Mug once before, and you know, the appearance of Mr. and Mrs. Mug, I was just surprised at how volatile things got between them when they bumped into each other. In fact, last week, they bumped so hard and beads flew out so fast, I was, you know, seriously a little bit concerned that Pastor Steve's eyes might get damaged as they flew out and all over the floor. So I, um, it was good, though, that by the end of the message, if it doesn't make any sense to you, because you weren't here last week, you can listen to it online, um, that by the end of the message... Mr. and Mrs. Mug started to take ownership for the beads that were inside them, that some of their issues wasn't their spouse's fault, it was their own, and they started to you know, get along better. Um, so I invited them back, and I'm going to keep an eye on them for two reasons. One is that today's communion, and I don't want any bumping and beads all over you know, the front here while people are walking up. Or secondly, I really feel like uh, they need to hear today's message, so um, I'm just going to set them right here, and, and uh, they can listen. So this week, as we close, I want to—I have something behind that wall that you brought to your marriage. And the truth is, if your spouse brought one too, 
And uh, the truth is that I, I brought it to my marriage as well. And uh, you may not have described it this way, but believe it or not, you brought a basket. You brought a basket to your relationship. It's not a basket of laundry, although you might have brought that too, but it's, uh, it's not a basket of decorations. What you brought to your relationship, and maybe the theme gave it away, you brought a basket of hope. A basket of desires and hopes of what? Your marriage, your dating relationship if you're not married, your life if you're single or married, a, a basket of hopes, specifically in marriage, to the marriage of what it would be like. And for some of you especially, I think more so the ladies, I mean, you started filling this basket when you were a little girl, right? You started thinking about, all right, this is what my wedding would look like, and this is what I want my husband to be like, and this is how I'm hoping my marriage would go. But both guys and girls, we, we fill it all along the way. And you fill it from things you see in here in a lot of different places. From TV, from conversations with friends, you, you, you fill it. I think the biggest one is from what you see modeled with your parents, because that's the marriage you kind of know the most of what to do, what not to do, right? When you're finally married. For those of you who are Christians, you've probably filled your basket with some things that God rightly has said should be a part of marriage. Yeah. So, to make this a little more real, what types of things? Um, some of you always, as you thought about your marriage, always wanted the perfect home that would be big enough for the entire family. Each you know, person and child would have their own room, and it would be in this nice, quaint little suburban neighborhood. For those of you, it's the same house, but you wanted acreage and more room to sort of move around and, and, and feel free, right? For some of you, um, you know, children had always been something that you had a hope for, all right? And, and you know, not that you were, you were picky about it, but, uh, you know, three, Lord, two boys and a girl, two years apart, please. It's, you know, you had, you had these, these hopes in your basket. Um, some of you had hopes for the role that your, your, your wife would play, you know, because my mom always took care of, and, and, you know, Mrs. Cleaver on Leave it to Beaver always, you know, she always cooked, you know, um, or what my husband would do because, you know, my dad always was good with, with one of these. I, I hope being good with one of these was not in my wife's basket. Um, or that I, uh, I, my dad always would, you know, surprise my mom with flowers, and, you know, I kind of have always wanted my husband to do the same without me having to tell them or it to be some sort of a special day. Um, maybe it's how you use your time came with hopes. Um, we spend all of our time together. Or we'd spend most of our time together, but I'd have the leeway to go hang out with my guy friends, you know, once a month or something, or my girlfriends, or... Or maybe it was how you'd use the weekend. And you grew up, guys, and we're going to spend all weekend going to AAU tournaments and spending, spending time at the court or the hockey rink or whatever it is. And, and your wife is like, no, I think, you know, I grew up thinking, you know, we'd spend time, you know, gardening or something. Or, you know, with those little knee pads on, we just kind of, you know, kneel down to each other side by side all weekend. Um, how you use the holidays might be something that you had to Time hopes for. I have the perfect way that we're going to divide time between my family and the in-laws, and if I can just find a spouse that sees it my way, you know, everything's going to go great, because I have some great 
post in my basket. Now, I'm going to take a guess about something. Are you following along so far? Does this make sense at all? I'm going to take a guess. Not everything you have in your basket of hopes has happened exactly the way you wanted, exactly the way you thought they would, exactly the way you hoped. And I'm guessing that things in your life, even if you're not married, hasn't turned out exactly the way you thought. Uh, sometimes you look back and you realize, there are some things in my basket that just were a little unrealistic. And, you know, I don't, you know, I still hope for a nice, cozy home, but I don't need one this big. And you know that, that swing on the porch? I, mean, I would only use it like three months out of the year anyway. I don't really need that. Uh, or, you know, I still need a dependable car, but a sports car, I guess, I, you know, it's illegal to put the kids in the trunk, probably not real, you know, relevant or, you know, realistic anymore. Just a car that works, right? But there are other hopes in here that aren't pie in the sky. They're, they're really legitimate, and they, they hurt if they haven't happened the way you were hoping. The question is, what do we do with that? We just stuff it down deep and never talk about it. Just pretend that they're not there. Here's the truth. It's always going to be this way. I hope you don't view this series. I think you're smart enough to know. View this four weeks as a recipe that when we're done, you're not going to have any disappointments or frustrations or anxiety in your marriage. You hear a message on Sunday, apply it on Monday, and by Friday, everything is great. There's always going to be a basket of hopes that haven't been fulfilled exactly like you'd like. Even in the best marriages, there's still seasons where husband and wife are not loving each other the way that God would want. Difficult times happen. What do we do? Maybe you've made a commitment the last couple weeks. I'm going to put the my spouse's wishes, wants, and basket of hopes ahead of mine. And that causes even more anxiety because it seems like, you know, while I will do that, what if he doesn't reciprocate? What if she isn't tuned in to my hopes? What do we do with those things in the meantime? That's how we want to close today. Because there will always be struggles. For the answer to that, we turn to God's word and to 1 Peter. And uh, these words are written by, as you might guess, the disciple Peter. And he's writing to a group um, of people about relationships. Now, it wasn't specifically marriage relationships. It was the relationship of young men with older people in a congregation setting. And it's interesting that he describes two traits as being important. I'll read it in a second. That, that young men should submit, put others' hopes before their own, and that they should be humble. And the ironic part is that those are two of the same exact traits that should be exemplified and shared in a marriage. So the encouragement that Peter gives at the end is very, very applicable to your marriage and mine and lives. So we turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. Verse 
Young men, he says, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. Put, put their hopes, wants, wishes, desires ahead of your own. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud. He's not in favor of pride. That's not an attribute that he likes. But he gives grace. He gives love. He looks kindly upon the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. And then verse 7. Cast all your anxiety. What Peter is saying to us is whether you're married or not, you have anxiety in your life at some time. And what he says is he wants you to take all of that anxiety, and in the Greek, literally all means um, all, all your anxiety and disappointments I talked with the kids, your nervousness, all that stuff, and I want you to take it and I want you to put it on God's shoulders. I don't want you to feel like it is up to you to figure this out, but instead, I want you to trust God and give it to Him. To daily get on our knees in prayer if necessary and to give that to Him. It's like this as an example. Lord, I don't think I'm being greedy here, but I just feel like our family needs a better place to live, and it's kind of something I've always had in my basket of hopes. Lord, can I, can I tell you that? God, it's as if he replies, well, is that an anxiety on your heart? Yeah. Well, then, then you bring that up. And you cast that on me, and you give it to me, and you trust me. Or Lord, I've, I've always wanted kids. And, and maybe that's not happening the way I'd always hoped. Lord, can I tell you that without it sounding like I'm complaining? Is that an anxiety of your heart? Yeah? Then you bring that to me. You put that on my or Lord, I, I know I'm not perfect in my relationship, but one of the things that is in my basket of hopes is that my husband would love me for how God created me and not this idea he has in his mind of what a wife should be like. Or that my wife would be more in tune, is my prayer, to my needs. And time after time after time, God says, you bring that hope, that desire, and you don't just swallow it and let it fester. Daily, if it bothers you, if it causes you anxiety, whether it's in marriage or for those of us who are single outside of marriage, you bring those anxieties and you lay them squarely on the shoulders of your God and you trust Him. Now, quite sadly, and this might hurt a little bit, this doesn't happen all the time, but I'm guessing it happens sometimes. We don't do that with our anxieties all the time, do we? Sometimes, and now I'm talking marriage again, what do we do with our anxieties and our disappointments? Instead of casting them on God, we cast them on 
our spouses. And how we cast them on our spouses sometimes, not all the time, is in the form of blame, right? Almost as if you look at your spouse as the only thing between you and a basket full of happiness. That it's his issue or my or her issue that's the difference between me being happy or not. And you cast it on him. You cast it on her. Now, are you married to the perfect spouse? Not all of us can be so lucky, I guess. No, you're not. Are you the perfect spouse? Are there things that he's done, she's done, she said, he said that has contributed to your basket not being empty? Probably. But in the moment of confession between you and God, have there been times where you have expected more out of your spouse than you have even been willing or capable of giving yourself? Have there been times in our relationship where we have blamed our spouse for things that, quite honestly, as hard as he tried or as hard as she tried, she would never be able, he would never be able to live up to your expectations anyway. And so we cast them on our spouses unneedingly, things they can't even do. For instance, and I'll give you an example of this. Let's say, and, and I don't think this was in Carrie's basket. If it was, she didn't tell me. Let's say in Carrie's basket of hopes for her husband, was that someday she had hoped that she would be able to sing a duet with her husband, and it would be beautiful. Now, that can be in her basket, you know, her entire life, but guess what? I'm just not capable. I mean, we could come and sing out keys of the church. It'd be a time where you know, people wouldn't be here, but it wouldn't be beautiful, right? There are just things that your spouse, as much as they'd like to, just can't give sometimes, and we still cast anxiety on them, maybe. Maybe there's an attribute about them that they are trying hard to fix, but it is hard. It's a bead inside them, a sinful attitude inside them, and they are trying. They are, but they can't get it right yet. Maybe you had this, this vision for the style of living that you have. You know, and you take your income and his income, maybe of two people working, you're just not going to get there, and as hard as you try, it's just not capable. And guess what? This is God's will for your life, maybe. And sometimes what I've seen is that a spouse looks so much upon their, their spouse as the cause for their unhappiness that the marriage ends up not succeeding. And they find out that there's the same issues in the second marriage. Why? Because it wasn't their spouse. It was unrealistic expectations, casting anxiety where it didn't belong. Now, again, that doesn't mean your spouse is perfect. Does it mean that you don't talk about these things with your spouse? Not, no, not that either. I think it, one of the best things you could do is to talk to them about some of the, the things that are in your basket. As long as it's not singing a solo, a duet beautifully. One of the best things you could do, but do it this way. Instead of, here's what I have in my basket I want you to fulfill. Ask it this way, once a month, twice a month. How can I make your life richer? 
Is there something I can do to take care of one of the hopes that you have in your basket that hasn't been fulfilled? And there still will be some left. What do you do with that? Peter writes, cast all your anxiety on him. And here's the punchline. Why? Because he cares for you. You might be wondering, why in the world would all these things that are in my basket, why would they all matter to God? God says, here's why. Because you matter to And so, cast them on him. And that doesn't mean necessarily, you know, that, again, that you're going to get everything in your basket. That you'll have this fairy tale, you know, this, this marriage of fairy tales are written about. But you can know, even in the hardships, that God cares for you and is taking care of those things. That he cares for you. How, how do you know? Here's how you know. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for us. I know there are disappointments in life and there are things in your basket that may go unfulfilled for a long time, maybe forever. But there is one thing in your life that you can absolutely bank on that shows the love of God for you and the proof that he is listening and taking care of you, that he sent his son, that you might have an empty basket of hopes when you get to heaven because he's taken care of all of them beyond your imagination. And during the season of Lent, Ash Wednesday this week, we will come face to face again with the amazing love of Christ, of the, all that he would endure, become a human sacrifice on your behalf, and we doubt sometimes that he loves us? Come on. He hears us. He wants your anxiety. He takes care of you in the good times, and he's taking care of you in the difficult times. And so with our hearts on the cross and on Jesus, this is a perfect place to wrap up this series. I was looking online a couple days ago on what are some of the attributes, the most common attributes in, in, in how people pick their spouse. And, and there was, you could probably guess, right? Things like she's beautiful and he's funny and she's great with kids and He's good at handling money and successful, and we have the same hobbies and, and interests. Now, if you're someone here who's not married and looking to be married, so I'm talking probably to young people and some older, some older people too, but a lot of young people, don't miss this. I know how important some of those traits are, and it's not that they're unimportant. But when you start thinking about dating, and someday when you start thinking about, you know, marrying, the thing, number one thing I encourage you, I implore you to look for is someone who knows the love of Christ 
and who is willing to share and display that love of Christ, and are you willing to display that love of Christ to them, Christian? Because beauty fades, and kids, if your whole marriage is centered around the kids, guess what's going to happen? They leave someday, and they're probably not going to invite you to come with them, at least not until we're really old. And humor, it's funny some days. Other days, it's just downright irritating, right? But Christ is the foundation that you need. Marys, when you got married, whenever that was, I know you had this vision that was far beyond, let's just sort of live together for the rest of our lives. Let's just try to stay in the same bed for 50 years, you know, type of thing. Um, just coexist. Let's just put our money together so we can have, and that wasn't why you got married. You wanted, in your basket of hopes, you wanted to stay in love. And this is not a pie-in-the-sky dream that is impossible to have. God wants it for you, too. And Jesus Christ is it. He's that we rest on when things aren't going right. He's the example of what love looks like. But more than that, he's the means through which we receive forgiveness and are able to give forgiveness. That we receive new life as a Christian and that we are able to live according to that new life. So the best thing you can do for your marriage to simplify everything is to grow in faith together. At church, at home. And then someday, when, and this is a long time from now, when you're, when you're elderly and uh, someone's wondering, how, how did, we're still holding hands, like how, did, how did they stay so madly in love for so long? You can say, it's not because we're so good. It's because of the love 